Just Man's the Podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Just Man's The Podcast. My name is Amanda. If you guys are new here, I am your host. We talk everything womanhood, wellness, and self-growth. I am so pumped for you guys to listen to today's episode. It is long overdue. I've been wanting to get somebody on here to talk about personal finance and financial well-being for so long, and I just haven't found the right person, but I finally found the right person. You guys are going to love her. Her name is Diana. I will give her an intro in just a minute, but before we get into that, I want to do this new thing on here where I talk about a beverage, a podcast, and a pastime that I've been loving. So, I want to share with you guys one beverage, one podcast, and one pastime that I've just been loving recently. And we're going to start off with the beverage because I I don't like mint, okay? But I follow this girl named Balance by Joe. She's awesome. Her name is Jordan. And I've been loving her account. But a couple days ago, she posted a recipe for a mint iced latte. You guys, I am obsessed. I love, if you guys have ever tried Daily Harvest, I love Daily Harvest chocolate mint smoothie. And it's weird because I don't like mojitos. Like I don't like mint things normally, but mint chocolate chip I love. And then this iced latte, you guys, it's sinful. So what you do is you do some espresso. Well, first, okay, let's walk you through the steps. First, you take the mint and you muddle it in a cup, whatever cup you have. And then you brew some espresso, pour over the espresso, pour over your oat milk, put some ice in it. You can put a sweetener. I use Nut Pods and I use their oat milk French vanilla flavor. I have a discount code for Nut Pods. I believe it's just man's. Let's see. Let me check one second. I never have my discount codes pulled up when I want to share them. So... (laughs) Okay. Yeah. It's just, just man. So J U S T M A N D S. And that gets you 15% off of any nut pods guys run. Don't walk. I'm, I'm not even joking. They're French vanilla flavors, either in their, their normal almond and coconut blend or in their oat milk creamer blend. Like it's unreal. So go check out nut pods. So what I did is I did espresso oat milk, and then I added the oat milk creamer, French vanilla flavor, and then the mint threw some ice in it, stirred it, gave it a good stir. It hits the spot. It is so yummy. So go follow Balance by Joe. Jordan is awesome. She shares a lot of really cool recipes and just a lot of good health and wellness tips. And then for a podcast that I've been loving, I have, (laughs) I feel like it really speaks to why I love this podcast, but they've been around for so long and I am just so not up to date on pop culture because being in social media, and I've heard this from a lot of other people who do what I do, you you post so much and you share so much that consuming a lot, it becomes overwhelming and it, it gets to a place where you get exhausted of social media. So I share a lot, but I don't consume a lot. So I am so bad with pop culture. And this podcast has been around for so long. It's The Morning Toast, but I love The Morning Toast One, because I love both of their personalities. Claudia and Jackie are awesome, but also because they fill me in on whatever the fuck I need to know about because 
I feel like I just don't know anything. Like I don't watch the news. I don't turn on the TV. I don't really consume on social media unless it's like probably, I probably consume on social media like twice a week. So going and listening to the morning toast every morning or whenever they come out has been so good for me because I feel like I'm just like up to date on life and what's going on in society instead of like hiding under a rock and people being like, um, do you know about X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, absolutely not. I know now I literally can be, it's funny because Lucas is very much up to date on his pop culture. And I've lately been the person that's like, Hey, did you hear about this? And he's like, no. Whereas before it's always been him being like, did you hear about this? And I'm like, nope. And he's like, I'm not surprised. So now I have something to contribute to whenever it comes to pop culture. I don't feel like I'm just living under a rock and I don't know what's going on in the world. So the morning toast is my podcast recommendation for today's episode. Let's get into a pastime that I've been loving reading. I, I was an English major. I feel like you guys have heard me say this 20 million times. If you listen to the podcast, I should probably just have a shirt that says I was an English major tatted on my forehead, (laughs) but I love reading. I love writing. I love books. However, I have not read a good book lately and I would say I've finished one book since graduating college. I've picked up so many books and I've gotten halfway through so many books. However, I just haven't liked a book enough to really finish it. So I started reading a memoir by Kiel Bergen. It's called Holy Unraveled and it is amazing. I'm trying to get her on the podcast because she lives in Boulder. So I'm manifesting that I'm going to make it happen. I've, I've got a pitch email going. So we're, it's in the works. We're going to make that happen because she's got an incredible story. Her book, Holy Unraveled is a memoir. And she talks about how she was raised in a Catholic cult and a really cold, distant, kind of abusive. Well, not kind of, it was an abusive relationship with her father. And just her her family in general. And so it's a really awesome story about taking that situation and growing from it and her journey and how she got out of the cult, how she distanced herself from her family. It's just, it's amazing. It's a page turner. I really have not read a book in so long where I'm sitting there from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. just so focused and so involved and invested in a book. And this book is it. So it's Holy Unraveled by Kiel Bergen. If you guys like memoirs and what I, what I like about this is it, it reads like a story. So it reads like a fiction book, even though it's her, it's her life. It's, it's, you know, a true story and it's a memoir. It reads like a story. So it's really easy to follow and it's really easy to envision and empathize and really just, oh, it hits your soul. It hits the spot when you're just, oh, I don't even know. You guys need to read it. I can't even explain to you how much I love it. And again, I'm going to have her on the podcast. I'm already putting it out there. I'm going to have her on. So we will get into it whenever I interview her. But yeah, guys, reading is my favorite pastime right now. I feel like it's such a good way to disconnect because again, like I work on social media and I'm sure a lot of you just you know, do social media for leisure. So it's, it's really nice to just disconnect every once in a while. It's been my favorite thing to do on the weekends. And also it just like stimulates your brain. I feel like the older I get now that I'm out of school, I don't really get that much brain stimulation in terms of education or like reading. I know it sounds so weird, but 
I'm constantly on a screen, whether it's my phone or my computer. So it's nice to just look at paper and read. It's just super, super stimulating, super relaxing. It's the best. And I've been doing that instead of being on my phone at night. And it's really, really helped me in terms of sleeping better. So those are my beverages, podcasts, and pastime for today's episode. Today's guest, her name is Diana. She is at Money Boss Mama on Instagram, and she is a badass, you guys. She's a budget coach. She likes to call herself a budget coach, but she's a finance coach. She is a single mom of two. She helps women all over level up by using a budget and becoming both financially literate and liberated. She had 34, I think 34.9 thousand. Yeah. 34.9 thousand in debt just from credit card loans, personal loans, auto loan, just all these loans. And she paid it all off. She is incredible. We get into so many things in this episode about finances. We give so many, well, not me because I'm not financially literate. Actually, after interviewing Diana, I became so much more knowledgeable on finances. She really cleared up a lot of my questions, which is why I wanted to sit down and chat with her because I feel like, okay, let me know if you guys can relate. Being a young 20-something-year-old out of college, I feel like I was never taught about finances because, again, here we go, my motto, I was an English major. I hated math. I never learned about business or finances or anything, and I really regret not minoring in business because I want to become more literate on financial well-being and being conscious of my my spending and budgeting and, and making things happen for me and my family, so... I just, I'm so happy that I finally got to sit down with someone who I could ask all of my questions, whether they were dumb or obvious or whatever. I could just ask all of these questions and she answered all of them for me in a really layman's term way. Like she put it so simple because I feel like when you're talking finances, it can become so overwhelming because you're like, huh, what do those words mean? So she really put it in plain English for us. So The things we talk about is how she got out of debt, how she implements budgeting for herself and also for her clients. And she shares a lot of tips for you guys on how you can start budgeting and how you can start saving. And we get into what people are spending their money on and why they're spending their money on this and why it's unnecessary and how you can actually negate those spendings. We talk about taxes because it's tax season and she kind of breaks down what you need to know for taxes and gives a lot of good resources on how to do your taxes if this is the first year that you're filing your own taxes. She also talks about raising financially conscious children and financially aware kids because that's something that I was really interested in. You know, being a single mom for her, she had to really not only rely on one income to provide for her family, but also she was able to really nurture a awesome relationship with money for her kids because we talk about how her mom wasn't really financially literate and so how she wanted to change that narrative for her next generation of kids. So we really get into how to talk to your kids about money, how to get your kids involved, how to make your kids aware. We talk a lot about financial 
consciousness for small children. So if you guys are moms or if you guys are just college age age students wondering about finances, post-grad people wondering about finances, this is the episode for you. We get into everything. If you've ever wondered about how to save money, invest money, budget your money, stop spending all this crazy money on food, then this is the episode for you. I really hope you enjoy it. And if you do, please leave a rating and a review because it really, really helps my show grow and really helps other people find me. So without further ado, let's just get into the episode. The first thing I want to ask you is how you got into becoming Money Boss Mama on Instagram and how you got into finances, why you started to care about them, how you got debt free and just your story. So I got into the personal finance world pretty much by accident. When I was 18, I had a little clunker. So, you know, when we turn 18, we want nice things. We see maybe other kids around us that have nice things. And I was always that kid that was always at work because I I was raised by a single mom. So I literally had no choice but to work for my expenses because when I turned 16 she's like you know I can't afford to keep paying for you you're gonna have to get a job and so I when I turned 18 my bright idea was going out to get a car I knew nothing about interest rates I knew nothing about loans I I just knew that I wanted uh, a newer car a new to me car and um long story short it was I always say that my auto loan ruined my life it really didn't but It felt like that at the time because I had to give up one entire paycheck to pay my um, auto loan payment. And so I was surviving for years off of one paycheck, which was about $500. And so because it put me in such an uncomfortable position, I had to then start researching, you know, what an auto loan was or what an interest rate was because I I didn't realize that my payment was not going to the the principal balance, which is the main balance that you borrow. And so uh, because of my auto loan, I was thrust into this world of personal finance. And you know, when you search for something on Google, you just kind of go down this rabbit hole and it's like, it says something about interest rates. I'm like, what's interest rate? says something about principle. What's principle? says something about, you know, something else. And you're like, what is this? And so I just started to um, absorb all of this information. And I was on such a quest to lower my auto loan payment that it just put me into this world of money. And so um, I quickly realized that no one had a story like mine um, as I progressed. And so I just thought it was super important for me to share with other people who who looked like me, who had a low income, who was a single person by themselves or in a single mom, um, that they could do it too. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to put myself out there just so they know that you know they're not alone going through this. I love that because you're touching on something that resonates a lot with me and I know a lot of my listeners is that I feel like a lot of parents don't teach their kids about finances and a lot of parents don't necessarily know a lot about finances. So did you have any conversations conversations with your mom about personal finance and, and did she know anything about it or was she not really conscious about it either? Um, no, it was kind of just like, you know, the casual, don't get a credit card, 
don't get student loans, but they did not really say why. And so I, um, growing up, I did ping pong between my mom and my dad's, but most of the time I was with my mom and, um, she actually, we actually left, um, a two parent household with my dad in the third grade. So it's basically all I knew was just her being a single parent. And because I, I watched her struggle, it just instilled something in me that I don't really want to go this route, but no, she was pretty much a stay at home mom whenever she was with my dad and my dad handled the finances. So it was extremely overwhelming to her whenever she left, um, to now manage three kids on her own. So needless to say, like we really struggled. We had a grocery cart full of groceries. I remember this all the time. And we, sometimes we had to leave them at the front of the store because she just, her checks would never go through. Um, and so we, we couldn't afford the money. Uh, sometimes there would be people nice enough to help us pay for it. But for the most part, she really did not have a lot of financial literacy. And same thing with my dad as well. Um, so that was something that I had to be conscious of as I as I began to increase my financial literacy to make sure that my daughter especially, because financial abuse is a real thing, that she knows how to care for herself financially and be okay on her own. I think that's so wild because a lot a lot of the time I feel like we look at single moms and we are like, wow, like all these single moms are are killing it. They're they're doing so well. How are they doing that? But I especially feel for the single moms who were like your experience where your mom was a stay-at-home mom. She didn't have a job because a lot of these stay-at-home moms, just my peers in general, they have a baby, but they're already like a single financially independent person. Whereas your mom was a stay at home mom. And then, you know, she separated and now she's like, well, okay, now I have to be a full-time mom and I have to be a single mom, like all of a sudden. So I, I, I just feel for that situation so much. And I, I wanted to ask how, cause on your Instagram, you say that you got debt free. Mm-hmm. How did you accumulate the debt and then get into a little bit of how you started to pay that off? So the majority of my debt, I, when I finally wrote everything down, um, I had almost $35,000 worth of debt. And so I had, I was, before I started my official debt-free journey, knocking down my auto loan because that took the the biggest portion of my income. Um, But whenever I sat down and wrote everything out, it was $34,907. Exact. And the bulk of that was student loans. So I had about nineteen to $20,000 worth of student loans. I also had credit card debt, a little bit of my auto loan left, um, and medical debt as well. Because I had a cesarean that I had to cover my portion of. Um, I think that was pretty much it for what... Oh, no. And I think I had um, a... Dell computer that I had just purchased, but that was the bulk of my, my debt. So the personal loans, student loans, medical debt, um, and the auto loan, just basic debt. Um, how old were you at this point? At this point I was 24. Okay. So I was 24 years old whenever I started on the journey. Um, and it just got to a point where I'm like, okay, you know, I'm starting to see my mom 
how she was play out in my future because, you know, our observations and our experiences shape who we are as adults so much. So we don't even realize it. We don't even realize that we're repeating these cycles. And so I knew that I had to give my daughter something else. I had to give her more. As a parent, we want to give our kids more. But if we don't take back control of the narrative by doing the mindset work and really just trying to untangle what has happened in our upbringing and how it's playing out in our adulthood, it has complete control. Um, so I decided to start on a debt-free journey because I'm like, this is not the life that I'm supposed to be living. I honestly cannot keep going on giving all of my money up to different lenders and me surviving on scraps, especially if I'm the only one taking care of my child. I couldn't afford her. Um, and a few months after I started my official debt-free journey, I got pregnant again with my son. And so I'm like, okay, I really have to push it. But um, I think the main thing that really helped me was, and it sounds so cliche, was the mental aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Because going into it when you don't have a lot of money, so I only had like 30 to $60 to my name after each paycheck, you don't have a lot of money, you don't have a lot of faith. Money plays such a huge role in our, our identity. We make it mean something about us. Um, and a lot of people, they start the journey and they quit because they're not equipped with the mindset they need to stay consistent. So I really had to nurture myself first before I can make a huge chunk in my debt. Because if you don't believe you can do something, you're not going to seek out opportunities in your current stage. And you're just not going to do it because you don't have any incentive to keep going, you know? I love that you mentioned the mindset thing because I think you're so right. I feel like a lot of people go down the 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 desire to start saving or start getting really into yeah. investments and all of that, but they're not ready to take it on. So how did you do that? How did you prepare your mindset to really take this on? So I started a debt-free journey once when I was making like 25000 a year and I quit because I skipped that foundational part of the journey. Um, so when I started up again, I decided to take a trip back down memory lane. And then when you do that, you realize all of these things, it's kind of like as you grow into an adult, you have these um, realizations that, wow, that was completely different from how I experienced it, you know? And so whenever I started to go back down memory lane and I realized that my mom had no financial literacy, she really had no support. Um, she was doing the best that she could, but she was often defeated so much so that she did not really um, move her feet as much as she could have. And so when I started to pick up on the spending habits that my parents had, I started to realize that I was doing the same thing and that gave me back control of the narrative. And then I just decided, you know, what if I, what if everything works out? What if I do this? What if I stay consistent? What will it hurt to keep going? And I got to this point where I'm like, okay, if I keep going, something's going to happen. Something's eventually going to happen with consistency. And so you really have to tell yourself and accept the fact that you're worthy of having a better financial future and that you can do it. Because literally, if you tell yourself you can't, you're not going to do it. You're not going to start off super motivated um, and super inspired and have a lot of faith in yourself. But you literally have to take that little seed and start watering it by moving your feet and staying consistent. Um, so that's literally how I, I 
shifted my mindset. I'm like, let's just push it and see how far we can go. And as you start getting those little wins, that seed begins to start, you know, sprouting up and then it turns into a full blown tree that you're eventually sitting under the shade for them. I love that you brought that up because I feel like self-limiting beliefs are so powerful and I just know so many people who talk about how their parents weren't good with their finances and they they never taught them how to spend but then it stops there they they just say that okay my parents weren't financially literate but then they're not like so therefore I'm going to take it upon myself to learn more and I love that you did that in terms of resources for getting debt free, what steps did you take to start? Because I think that's the hardest part about being a young 20 something person trying to get their footing in the finance world is like, okay, I know that I'm interested in this. I know that I want to do things differently than my parents did in terms of finances, but I have no idea where to start. So just basics, like even if it's just a simple Google search or whatever, like what was your basic first step? So my basic first steps in getting debt free were first setting a goal. Literally people don't realize how important goals are when it comes to your finances. When you have a goal, then you have a destination you're trying to get to. Oftentimes people come to me, they're like, you know, how do I get started? They're super overwhelmed. And that's because their focus is so broad. They they want to save. They're like, I, I got to pay off an auto loan. I've got to pay off credit card debt. And when all of these things are spinning in your head, it gets so overwhelming that you don't even start. So you just want to pick one place to start, whether that's a specific debt balance, you know, whether that's with savings, whatever. I knew that my auto loan was causing me the most um, heartache and uh, discomfort. So I started there. I said, I want to pay my auto loan off. That was my main goal. And because I had that one specific balance that I was now going to focus on, I created a budget around that one specific goal. So you want to create a budget as well, because your budget is often, it's going, not often, it is going to allow you to maximize the income that you already have. And I know a lot of people try to put off paying off debt because they don't feel like, you know, they have enough money, so they want to wait until the perfect time. You've got to see where you are right now as your starting point. Otherwise, you're just going to keep pushing off your starting date. So you want to set a goal, create a budget around that specific goal, um, and then you want to create an action plan as to detailing out how you're actually going to stick to these amounts. If you put that you're going to spend $50 on something, how are you going to do that? And then when you are specific and you have that action plan, then it becomes a lot less overwhelming because now you know how to get to that specific destination and it's going to help you build that consistency. And since you're only focusing on one thing, it does help to maximize your income because you're going to see you know, your wins come a lot faster that way. In terms of resources that helped you set a budget, set a goal, all of that, did you use anything like spreadsheets or how did you go about like actually physically writing it all down? Um, I was a pen and paper type of person. I still am a pen and paper type of person, but now I kind of forced myself to get into spreadsheets. But in the beginning, I was definitely pen and paper. And I often Googled everything. I was a Google guru. <laughs> I had no one around me that I could ask because, um, you know, the financial journeys, that they are still very rare. Um, so Google and me were BFFs. And the way that I did it to make it a lot less overwhelming, I broke everything up by paycheck. 
I've always been paid bi-weekly. And so I would break it up per paycheck. Even when my pay was up and down, so it wasn't the same amount, but it was pretty dang close. Um, I would split my expenses up evenly between the two. And then I would, that this way, I knew exactly how much I had to send off for bills. It wasn't like me guessing and having to pull a different amounts each time. And I would stick to the same personal fund amount as well. That way I had that consistency and I did not have to do any guesswork. It was just like, this is what it is. And then when it's gone, it's gone. So that really helped me as well. And the personal finance community was like a gold mine for me. I think that's so important. That's such a good tip. One thing that I see a lot in my generation, especially being um, a younger 20-something person, people are getting out of college and then they have their student loans, but that's a whole other thing. They're getting out of college, they're getting into a job, whether it be corporate or just a job that they might not like, and then they're doing their passions on the side. And they get their passions to a point where they're they're doing well and they want to turn it into the career. So I wanted to ask you, what would be your tip for someone who is in a job right now, but has a side hustle that they really want to make their career? What money tips would you give them for trying to eventually leave that, that corporate job or that, that job that's generating the income now and create the side hustle into something that they can really rely on like what are any of your money tips in terms of budgeting in terms of saving just where what tip would you give out for that so I would say if you're eventually planning to leave your full-time job to take on your passions full-time I would say you need in your numbers what is that sweet spot that you need your business to bring in on a regular consistent basis for you to feel comfortable leaving is that you know you getting to ten thousand dollar months is that you getting to twenty thousand dollar months and then you also need to have what i call an fu fund and a lot of people call an fu fund that is whenever you're planning to leave you have an amount that will allow you to leave comfortably. So mm. a lot of people set back one year's worth of living expenses in this particular fund for this specific reason. And that way you have a year to invest in your business and get it to that number that you need in order to cover your expenses and still have a little bit left over. And you also want to make sure you're, you're taking um, advantage of your employer 401k plan. A lot of people like to skip over that, especially when they're young, because they feel like, you know, I have time. I don't mm. want to give up money for my paycheck. I need every single dollar. And that was a mistake that I made in my early 20s, just starting late because of that mentality. But if you're planning to leave, get that extra money now, you know, and then be sure that you are contributing enough to get your employer match. That way, whenever you leave, you do have that nest egg. And so you're not falling so behind because even if you get to those $10,000 months, you're not keeping that $10,000. You know, you have to pay taxes and you want to make sure that you are putting back enough money for retirement. So you really have to take all of these things into consideration, healthcare, you know, things like that. And then whenever you get to that amount or you get that amount in your FU fund, and then, then you know, um, you want to make sure that everything is set up to where you're staying consistent because there's going to be some months when maybe you're not making half of what you made previously. What is your number? I always say that. What's the number that you need? 
in order to walk away and not have to ever return. And then you can follow your passions comfortably, you know, hopefully that makes sense. That does make a lot of sense, but also that's why some like hiring a coach like you would be so beneficial for someone like me because you say all that and it makes sense, but I'm like, okay, that's too overwhelming for me. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, That's why I feel like people who are listening, who, you know, might be overwhelmed by money or just like need some guidance. That's why going to someone like you is so crucial and so important. So leaving the corporate thing and setting aside money, having your number, you mentioned that, you know, you're not keeping that, say it's $10,000. You're not keeping that. So kind of break that down because I think that's something that people my, my age don't really understand is that like you can make X amount of money, but you're not keeping a lot of that. So in terms of, of making sure you have enough and setting things aside, how does that work? Um, as far as like you working, not really being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, I say that a lot of people don't realize that they're gross. Uh, and their net pay are totally different. You know, the amount that you see on a job posting is not the amount that you're going to be bringing home. And if you've ever had a job and you looked at your paycheck stub and you saw that taxes were taken out, um, then, then you realize that. And so because the amount that you have is so different, I always say, the, the, the gross amount, which is the amount before um, any taxes, is pretty much irrelevant, you know, because you're not seeing that money. You're not touching that money. So anything that you do, any financial plan that you have, you want to put it around your, your net pay because that's the amount that's actually touching your hands. And that's the amount that you're going to use to achieve whatever financial goals, whether that's you trying to pay off debt, whether that's you trying to fund your FU fund so that you can go out and be creative and work your, your side hustle, your passions full time. You want to make sure that you're maximizing that net pay or the, the net amount that you're getting by creating a budget. I always go back to creating a budget because it's the foundation of literally everything. It doesn't matter how much you make or how rich you are or how poor you are. You still need a budget. If you have a consistent amount of money touching your hands or coming into your account, you need to plan for that money. That way you're controlling your expenses and you're maximizing your income. And that's for entrepreneurs as well. You have to control your expenses. Otherwise, your profits are going to be eaten alive. And so whether that's with your personal funds or your business funds, you want to have a budget for both. And I actually recommend setting aside a budget for your side hustle because you know those earnings are going to have to be uh, reported. And you want to make sure that whatever extra money that you have, you're maximizing it to do whatever it is that you're trying to do with it. I know that tax season is like here and people are stressed out about it. What are your general tips for people um, who are trying to maybe file their taxes for the first time on their own. Because I know um, that's something that like a lot of my young friends who are entrepreneurs and are or have um, started their own businesses are, are, you know, navigating through right now or even just getting their first job out of yeah. college. A lot of my friends are doing their taxes for the first time. And one of my girlfriends was like, I'm so proud of myself. I did my taxes on my own. I researched it. And my immediate thought was like, holy shit, I hope you didn't do it wrong. <laughs> you know, then you're in some shit. But what are your tips? Are there any apps that are really helpful? Or is there anything that you would suggest is really helpful for trying to navigate filing your taxes for the first time? 
So I will definitely say filing your taxes is something that you don't want to play around with and you don't want to skimp out on. Um, so having an advisor is super important. I will say that if you're not comfortable doing it yourself, don't do it yourself. Um, I know that people from the personal finance community are really DIY oriented, but when it comes to that, you don't want an, uh, an, a bill from the IRS. You don't want them after you. Because even if you you fail to file on you know certain uh, jobs, maybe you had a temp job or a little side hustle, you know, if you fail to file those earnings, then that that could be a tax bill in the future, you know. Um, and so I got into the habit of where I researched how to file my taxes first, because I'm that person where I like to be hands on and I like to know how to do it myself. But that's that's my mentality. But if that is your mentality as well, you know, there are so many resources online that will walk you through how to file your taxes. And one particular um, tax filer that I like is um, TurboTax. So I've used TurboTax for years. And that was what I first used whenever I started to do my own taxes. And what's really neat about TurboTax is that they have that advisor that's there when you need them. And they make it super, super easy because they know a lot of people don't know what the heck they're doing. And so it walks you through literally every aspect of your tax filing. And it's going to ask you the questions that you maybe didn't realize that you needed to have the answers to just to make sure that you're filing your taxes correctly. So I would recommend, you know, if you want to do it yourself, something like TurboTax, something that has that's going to give you access to an advisor if you need a little bit more clarification on something, but it's going to walk you through step by step. And then once you get into the habit of filing it, you're going to automatically know the next time around, okay, this is what I need to have. This is what I need to track. I need to have all of these things together. Because there are sometimes some some documents that we may forget. Maybe if you pay for childcare, you need that document about how much you paid for childcare. You need your W, um, well your yeah your W two from your employer. Uh, any type of side hustles you're going to need to report uh, and things like that. So you want to make sure that you have all your documentation together. But if you're someone where you're super freaked out. You just think that you're going to jail if you file it yourself. I recommend going and allowing someone else to to help walk you through the process. You know, they may take a little percentage out, but it's better than getting a, a, a bill from the IRS and then having that extra debt added onto your shoulders. That's totally me. I'm like, I'm going to jail. I'm, I'm just, I'm. They're taking me. That's well, literally uh, me. I'm like, I got ten thousand back. I don't think I did this right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay. So TurboTax, is that a free resource? Yes, it is okay. free. Um, I will say that I do believe if you have like an HSA, which is a health savings account through your employer, um, then there, it may require you to upgrade a little, but I think it's like $40, which is not okay. bad. Okay. And you, you were talking about side hustles and, and people needing to report for that. So, I'm not very financially versed. My dad has always kind of mentioned, like, if you don't make a certain amount of money, then you're fine. Like, what is the 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 kind of rule of thumb for if you do have a side hustle, like you're needing to report that? Can you break that down a little bit? 
So side hustle, and then for someone who's maybe never heard of a side hustle, it's just a, a, a job that you do on the side in addition to your main source of income. So like your day job. So maybe if you're driving for Uber Eats or something like that, that would be considered a, um, a side hustle. Now for me, I would say that whenever you are earning more than like a thousand dollars, like more than, I would say even more than 500. So 500 and up, you would need to report that on your taxes because that's still earned income that you're going to need to, to put into it and let them know that, hey, I made X, Y, Z from this. And then, you know, they, they'll tell you how much you need to owe or if you owe anything uh, at all. But I will always say it's better to be safe than sorry, right? And so if you made 500 and up on something, then go ahead and report it. That's such a good rule of thumb because I, I, th I think a lot of people, like you were saying, um, probably don't really think about that if it's not over $1,000. But I agree with you. I think 500 is like, that's, that's the number. I really totally agree with that. I wanted to get into, because you're a coach and um, you help women, do you help only single women or just any, anybody? So I've actually coached uh, women who are not single, they're married, but they're still, um, when I say single, it's you trying to reach your financial goals just with your income. Because if it's two people, it's kind of like I'm coaching two people at the same time, you know, Right. but you don't have to be unwed. And what are, what are the, the main things that you help these women with when you're coaching? So it is like a, a budget coaching program, but it's not just focusing on budget. So we actually hit on mindset first because that's the foundation. If I don't get them right mentally, nothing I teach them is going to stick. They're just not going to stick with it, you know? So we have to go into their mindset, shift their money mindset from this place of scarcity like many of us start off as. And then help them get to this place of abundance to where they're able to set these goals that they, they really want to set, but they're too afraid to set. And then from there, we go into goal setting. So our first portion is clarity, which is mindset and goal setting, because I want to get them into the habit of setting a financial goal that is relevant and realistic. If you don't set a goal correctly when it deals with your finances, that can wreak havoc on everything that you're trying to do because now you're playing with your mindset. Whenever we set a goal, it's automatically becoming a part of our self-identity because, you know, we make where we are financially mean something about ourselves. And so, so from that portion, we then take that main goal and whatever we've discovered your behaviors are naturally. So if you have spending triggers, like, you know, a lot of us like to eat out. We can't stop eating out. And so we take those spinning triggers in our main goal. We create their budget around it. And I um, I call it a non-slim fast budget because I don't do deprivation. If, if I have to deprive myself in order to get to a goal, I'm not going to do it. And so a lot of people like to say, you know, stop drinking lattes. I was still at Starbucks and I still became debt free. So I'm kind <laughs> yeah. of like, you know. Keep your advice. If I have to deprive myself, I don't want it, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so we make a non-slim fast budget that still allows them to have fun, but they're hitting that main goal that we created. And then from there, we take that, uh, that main goal and that budget and we create their action plan to help them stay consistent because execution is the part where we all get stuck. 
we can't stay disciplined and we can't stay motivated. You know, when we set a new goal, we get really excited, but then we fall off the bandwagon a few weeks later. And so we spend the, mo the, the majority of our time perfecting our action plan so that we can actually stay disciplined and consistent long enough to get the results that they're looking for. And how long do you work with people? Uh, it's four months, 16 weeks if everything plays out correctly, but it's a four month program just to make sure we have enough that. time, you know, to give them all the tools that they need to succeed. No, that's so smart because I feel like when you, when you think about like a financial coach, it's not necessarily like a set four month program. Yeah. It's like you talk to them whenever you want, yeah. but I love that you have like a set four week, four month, 16 week thing where it's like, you're, you're checking in, you're making sure you're on track and you can tweak things. Yeah. I love yes. that. And I really also love that you brought up that a lot of people come from this money mindset of scarcity mm -hmm. because that's totally me. It's interesting because I like grew up very well off. My parents were very well off. I never had to worry about money and I still don't because they're very generous. However, I've, I've always thought about money in a scare scarcity mindset yeah. and I don't know why because it's always been abundance and it, but I think it's interesting because it, I think it speaks to our society as a whole. I mean, I feel like you can be, you can be raised knowing one thing about money, but then yeah. what you're hearing with your peers or just in the media totally correlates to how you view your money. And yeah. I, I wanted to ask like, when you are working with clients, is that something that you find most often in their mindset is that they come from a place of scarcity? And if so, could you could you kind of touch on that a little bit more? Yeah. So what's crazy is that I, I expect them to come in with a mindset of scarcity. Um, when I'm working with them, 100% of the time, <laughs> it's always, I don't have enough. I can't do this. Money is hard to come by. And now it's really interesting hearing you said that you came from a place of abundance because oftentimes, you know, a place of scarcity where you just feel like there's never enough money, there's never enough money. Um, it comes from, you know, your upbringing of where thing, basic needs weren't met, money was hard to come by, or you heard your parents say things such as, uh, you know, money doesn't go on trees or, right. you know, you literally have to work hard. You have to work yeah. hard for your money. And I think, um, I think for me, it, it probably comes from the fact that like, I never earned my own money money. So I always looked at myself as like, I'm broke. Like I don't oh, have any yeah. money. Like my parents have this because I, I grew up also like my friends. Cause I went to like a private school and I had friends who would always make comments like, Oh, well you can buy this because your parents are rich. And yeah. it was like, no, I don't make the money. Like it's not my money. So I think that's where it's come from is like, I've, I, I've always wanted to earn my own income. And because yeah. I never did, I feel like that's why I, I've come from a scarcity mindset because I've never had like abundance of my own. Yeah. So it's kind of like when you're standing on your own and separating yourself from your yes. parents, it's yeah. like, I'll oh, shoot. I don't have yeah. anything. <laughs> you yep. know, I yep. don't have anything. Um, but, uh, a scarcity mindset, like you were saying, it's just, it's a fear-based mindset. And a lot of it comes from what we tell ourselves. A lot of it comes from our upbringing. And a lot of it comes from who we surround ourselves with as well, whether that's social media, whether that's people in the physical, coworkers, whatever it is, you're going to pick up on that and you're going to start to 
absorb that information and it, you're going to make it mean something about your personal situation. So kind of like, you know, the situation we're in right now, a global pandemic, people are losing their homes, losing their cars, they're losing their jobs. And so having all of this that you're absorbing on a regular instills this fear in you that money is hard to come by. Money is hard to come by and I may not get this money again if I lose it. And a lot of times that manifests into two ways. We're either going to be a, a hoarder. We're going to hoard money because we feel like we'll never have enough of it. And so we don't want to let it go because it's not going to come back if we spend it, you know. Or when we get it, we're an impulse shopper because we feel like if we don't get what we need right now, the, the money's not going to be there to allow us to have it. So we've got to get what we need right now because once the money's gone, it's gone, it's not coming back. Either way, you're you're making your money run off and you're right. making it really hard to progress. Um right. so I say I always said the shift the shift that I made when I came from scarcity to abundance was just having faith in myself. Having faith and confidence that when I spend this money or something happens, that I'm going to be able to provide for my needs and supply uh, everything that I need for me and my kids. The money is going to come back. Money is not scarce. Money is abundant. And so you have to have faith in yourself to support yourself and to hit your financial goals. And then things become less scary because you're like, I got this. I can do this again, you know? I also think it's so interesting that you make the correlation between the mindset and the behavior in terms of looking at money as a scarcity and then being an impulse shopper or a hoarder, because I think it makes so much sense. And if you look at it that way, it's like, okay, well then if I don't look at money as a scarcity, I'm probably not going to impulse shop, which is a bad yeah. habit. And I'm also probably not going to be frugal, which is also not a great way to be. So I think, I think if you break it down in that mindset to behavior, uh, perspective. It makes so much sense. And I love that you brought that up. I want to know, what do you see when you're coaching people is like the biggest thing in terms of bad habits that people do, or like people spend the most money on that they really do not need to spend on food. Yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> could guess that. Yes. It's all, it's so insane. You would think it would be clothes or something like that. It is food. Food is the number one thing. And I think you know, it's like, it's just the way that we self-soothe yeah. and get through the day. It's like, it, it's fulfilling. It leaves us feeling relieved and it tastes good going down. Right. So food is definitely number one. And then I would say, um, shopping like clothes would be number two. I also think it makes sense for food in just in my experience, because for example, my boyfriend and I will go shopping for the week. And then when we run out of food to eat, we go to Uber Eats or we go out to eat yeah. because it's convenience. We yes. don't want to, we don't want to go back to the grocery store if we, you know, don't have the time for it. We can just Postmate something or Uber Eats something while we're getting work done instead of leaving the house. So I think, I think that is such a big thing for so many people. And I'm, I'm curious about how the pandemic has affected that. If you've seen anything, you know, change in that, because I think a lot of people are um, ordering out more because yeah. they don't want to go to the grocery store. So do you have any tips in terms of limiting spending on food? So I would always say number one is that you need to have a plan. 
like mm-hmm. a meal plan. You don't have to meal prep, you know, with the Tupperware and all of that. Um, if you're not that type of person, but you need to go into your week or your month or however it is that you plan out your food whenever you grocery shop and know what meals that you're planning to make and the ingredients that you are going to need. A lot of us don't realize that we buy duplicates as well. Uh, We just go in willy nilly and start throwing things into our cart because that, ooh, that looks good. I need that, you know, starts to pop up. Um, Now that we're in the pandemic, I do recommend ordering uh, your groceries online and doing pickup. And this was a game changer for me even before the pandemic because you can see your total before you check out and you're sitting down you're giving yourself enough time to really thoroughly think through what you need so you're not just randomly clicking on things like you would if you were physically in the store um and then a lot of times people will buy will will pay for the groceries even though we went over budget because there's people behind us they're looking Uh, we start to get anxious and we're like, okay, I don't want to have to put these things back and hold up the line and have people think that I don't, you know, I'm not able to get it. So they just pay for it. But that way, you know, if you go over your over budget, you can look back through your online cart before you press submit and make your changes that way to make sure that you are only spending what you budgeted for, but you definitely want to have a set amount that you're spending on groceries plan out what meals you plan to make. And that way it limits you in eating out impulsively because you know, okay, I have these meals I can make instead of what am I going to eat today? And then that leaves the idea of let's just go to Chili's or something, you know? And I really think it it's so nice that if you do online shop, you can also just sit in your home and look into your fridge, look into your pantry and see what you actually need. Because it's so true. Sometimes when I go to the grocery store, I get things and I get duplicates because I don't realize that I already have it at home. So it makes so much sense. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about how to raise financially aware kids or financially conscious children, because that's something that I really want to do with my son. Um, but again, as I was saying from my upbringing, like I never had to worry about money. Therefore, money was never even a conversation. So I I kind of wish that it was so that now that I'm on my own, I know how to be independent and how to handle my finances independently. So what is kind of your rule of thumb for raising financially conscious children and, and how can someone listening go about it? So I always say, number one, you want to open up the dialogue. Um, A lot of us come from, just as you said, households in which we weren't told anything about money. Children are like sponges. They absorb information, whether we realize it or not. And so just simply opening up the dialogue and talking about money is always the first step. And then um, when, when they are able to you know, start managing their money because you want to go about it at however it is, how old they are, age-based. So with my daughter, in the beginning, before she was too young to manage her own money without me freaking out about it, we would just talk about it because money is still taboo. And, you know, what is not talked about regularly uh, is not the norm. It's, It's super rare. But if you open them up and expose them to finances early, it becomes something that's normalized and it's not so taboo. It's not so scary. It's not so something that's super shaming. And then that gives them the ability to be more open about where they are financially and not, you know, just suffer in silence. 
Um, Cause that's something that a lot of people do because they think it's normal. They don't realize being in debt is not the way to go or having no savings is not the way to go. Cause we don't talk about it. Um, and then when they get to the age where they are able to manage money on their own, I always say, you know, put them to work pay them and then build their work ethic at the same time. So I like to do this through chores. And I know a lot of people have different opinions on chores, but I just see it as a way for her to manage her own money. Instead of me just telling her, because telling her is not enough, you want to give them the ability to be hands-on with what you're telling them as well. And so I give her chores to do in which I pay her age-appropriate amounts for the chores. And that way she's building her work ethic, but her financial literacy at the same time, because she's putting into motion what I'm telling her. And then as well, as they progress, you want to make sure that you are... Um, helping them, I will say, navigating them through the world of, you know, giving and investing. So we take a little portion of her money and put it in savings. And then we take a little portion uh, and, and donate it to, to charities. It could be like a dollar to charity or whatever, but that's getting her into the habit and, and going to get them into the habit of practicing delayed gratification, knowing that you have to save for things that you want and also the importance of giving to others because it helps to keep, you know, our, our society in rotation. I absolutely love that. And I also agree with you about the chore thing. I think not only does it instill work ethic and um, really promote their financial liter literacy, but it also helps them for life skills. Yeah. And like, I, I remember, cause again, like I was pretty well off and my, my parents had like someone who did our laundry and, and cleaned the house. So I remember when I went to college, like I didn't know how to do laundry because like, I just never had to. So I feel like it's so, it's so smart to just yeah. like get your kids involved. And, and also when I was growing up in high school, especially if my parents ever told me to like put the dishes away or like put a load in the laundry, like I didn't want to because I never had to. So I think if you if you get them involved at an early early age, it gets them excited. It gets them yeah. like it's it's more of it's less of like a quote unquote chore and more of like okay I'm gonna I'm gonna help out because I want to help out. I love that. I I want to touch on a little bit being a single mom and and managing your finances. Like if there's any tips that you can give to single parents, whether it's a mom or a dad what would you give to them? Like what, what is probably the biggest struggle and what, what tips do you have? I think the biggest struggle uh, that I've experienced and that I hear from other single parents is the fact that they say, you know, things are always popping up. You know, you take two steps forward and get knocked back 10 steps. And so I say the biggest tip is to be proactive. You know, when you are a parent, your children are going to need things. They're going to need clothes. They may, when they get of age, they're going to want to be in, you know, school age activities and things like that. And so you want to be proactive when it comes to their expenses, because when you're on a financial journey, you want to limit the disruptions on your journey, things that are going to knock you off. And so sinking funds are always my number one. They have helped me tremendously. And sinking funds are like little mini savings account, but they're for a specific purpose. So, you know, with your savings, we're just saving to be saving. It's just there to be there. But with your sinking fund, you have a specific reason and often a specific amount. So with me, I have one for clothes because kids grow like weeds. And that's something that, 
you know, it's expected, but it's also a pop-up expense to a lot of people because they don't properly prepare for it. So we have a clothes sinking fund, which I just throw back a little portion every now and again to buy new clothes as they grow. And then for activities, whether they want to enroll in sports or something like that if that's something if you're able to do that you can set up a sinking fund for that if they need a certain amount for the season then you set up a sinking fund previously that way you can pace yourself throughout the year or whatever to get to that specific amount um and you know for school lunches things like that expenses that are they're not really a surprise but they come as a surprise because we don't think to put them into our spending plan. You want to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success and being proactive by saving amounts for these things and pacing yourself because if you're only dealing with one income, unfortunately, it's going to take you a little longer. You know, you have to be a little bit more creative. Um, but being proactive is a way in which you can kind of um, plan for their needs. But keep your progress and focus on your financial journey as well. Yeah, that's so smart. I, I love that. I mean, it, it's, it speaks for everything. Like preparation is so key in any realm of life. I, I truly believe that. Going back a little bit to making money, something that's not taboo to your children. Mm-hmm. What are some just simple conversation starters that people can have with their, with their children? I know we talked on, we talked about the chore thing and, and, you know, uh, setting aside money for charity and savings and delayed gratification. But in terms of like actually just speaking to your children, what kind of conversation starters would you suggest? So I would always suggest because kids are going to their emotional balls of flesh. They act off of emotions um, when they're young in age. And so, you know, oftentimes when they see something that looks shiny, they want it. And so often what will come up is that you're going to need to start when it comes to actually saving for things that you want and properly preparing before just going out and randomly purchasing things. And that's something that a lot of us deal with. We're impulse spenders. We live in a society where we're we're huge consumerisms, you know, huge consumers. Uh, But that's where I started and that's where I often recommend is just getting them into the habit of saving for the things that they want and then asking them, you know, well, kind of putting it down to their level. Well, if we buy this, then we're not going to be able to get this and having them really sit down and kind of think through, okay, do I really want this or do I really need this? Or is this other thing more important? Because with my daughter, you know, she, she wants what she sees other kids have. And so I'm like, okay, well, if we want to move into a new house, then that's going to put us back if we get a new car. Cause recently she wanted a new car cause her friends got a new car. And so <laughs> I just have to break it down to their level, wherever they are, because as a parent, you're going to know where your kids are mentally. Right. So I'm like, if we get a new car, we're going to have to pay for the car every month. So it may be about three, $400 that we have to give up. And so we're not going to have that three, $400 to save for our new home. And so you're not going to be able to paint the room, the, the walls in your room. So which is more important, do you want the walls in your room to be that specific color in your new house? Or do you want the new car? You know, and that gives them time to really think through it. 
and and d- decide you know which is best so you're helping them to think logically and yep. taking them out of that emotional space and that's something that's going to be super beneficial for them as adults because a lot of us make decisions based off of emotions we want what we want and we justify it with logic versus it being the other way around you know how old is your daughter she's eight so does she digest a lot of that she does. She actually, she does d- digest a lot of that. Um, I started t- talking to her about that uh, when she was about age five and I make her part of my budgeting process as well. So, you know, we decided that we would go out to eat, you know, every payday. And so we decided on the amount that we would spend and how often we would go. And so making her part of the budgeting process was super easy as well because it gets them excited and it makes them pay attention attention and learn, you know, to put your money towards certain things to make it work for you. I also just love that you, you, when she voices her wants to you, you explain that, that you, you explain it to her because I feel like a lot of parents, if a kid's like, mom, I want a new car. They're just like, no, we're not getting it. Yeah. No. And, and that tells the child that, okay, they can't voice their, their feelings. They can't voice their wants. And it just like, it shuts down the conversation yeah. altogether. I feel like it's, I just love that you explain that to her, even if she didn't digest it and she was still like, no, I want the car yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's still good to get into the habit of telling your children exactly why you are saying yeah. no to things. Yeah. Cause a lot of times, like as adults, we were like, our parents told us not to do this, but they didn't tell us why. Right. They didn't explain to us. And that really does no good because then we're going to go out into the world. We're going to do it anyway because we don't know the repercussions of it. We don't know the consequences. So um, I know just just by doing that, it allows her to make it make sense in her mind. And then whatever decision that she goes and and comes up with, I know that she has, you know, the reasons why. And whatever decision that she has is not just because a yes or no cut and dry. How do you navigate as a mom who's very conscious of finances? How do you navigate those emotions and her wanting to, you know, her wanting things and, and, and wanting them based off her emotions? Like, how do you leave room for that? Because I think it's also important to, to leave room for, you know, little kids to go to a a store and be like, mom, I really want this. And you'd be like, okay, like you can, like, I think it's important to leave room for that a little bit. So how do you navigate that? So I will say it get it it does get tough. It's tough. I've noticed my son is three. It's tough when they're young and it's tough when they get older as well because they when they get older, they start to see what their, their peers have, you know, what their friends have and how their parents are managing their money. Um, I still, as a mother, think it is super important to still allow them to be a kid. I, I will not... Um, go into it, forcing my kids to just have this amazing sense of delayed gratification. We're going to save everything. We're going to budget for everything. So sometimes when they do go into the store and they want something, um, I will purchase it. I don't do that all of the time, but if I do purchase it, I do try to bargain with them. So as, as if we, we've got to do a chore, we've got to do homework, we've got to do something because I want them to get into the habit of knowing things are just not going to be handed to you, you know? Right. Um, but I do leave room for them to still be children and still be emotional. Um, but I feel like because I'm opening up the dialogue and I am, 
um, exposing her to my finances, there's this balance that I do keep where sometimes if it's something that's big, we, we're going to have to have a discussion. And if it's something that's small, like a pack of gum, then I, I will go ahead and allow her to be an eight-year-old and allow him to be a three-year-old. I think it's about finding that sweet spot, which you have to do with your finances as well in order to be sustainable. Um, you have to find that sweet spot and know what works for you and your children. But if you're opening up the dialogue and you're teaching them, you know, the importance of managing their money correctly, then it, it's okay. It, it's okay to, to be a little lenient in some situations. So wrapping up, I would love to know if there's any resources or apps or tools or books that you would recommend to someone who's wanting to start managing their own finances. So maybe it's someone who doesn't really want to invest in a financial coach at the moment, but still wants to become more conscious about their finances. Are there any apps, books, resources, just anything you would recommend? So I do love personal capital. It is a free app in which it will um, transfer over, not transfer, but allow you to attach all of your bank accounts to this one specific app. So under that one login, you'll have all your bank accounts, your auto loans, whatever loans that you have, your retirement savings, it's all in one space and it will actually categorize your spending for you. Um, you can set up budgets in it. And you can just oversee everything in one place. So I really like that for beginners because it allows them to kind of organize their finances and figure out what's going on. Um, and then I think that when it comes to books, I do know that Dave Ramsey, The Total Money Makeover, a lot of people like that book. I hear it all the time from beginners. So I would recommend that as well. I have not read it personally, but I do think that he has some good foundational steps for beginners, and he puts it in a way that's easily digestible. And then for those who maybe want to understand personal finance from an investing standpoint, I always say Rich Dad Poor Dad is amazing because he wrote it for a five-year-old could understand it, honestly. And he said it himself. He's a terrible writer. He is. But it's good for beginners because it's super easy. And if I can understand investing when I read it, then I know that anyone can understand it. And he puts it into this perspective where you really have to sit back and, and think on things, you know, because he's going to tell you what separates those who are successful with their money from those who are not successful. So it's a really huge eye opener. I love that. And then if you could just tell everybody where they can find you, how they can work with you, just pimp yourself out. Yeah. So you can find me at Money Boss Mama on Instagram. I am on YouTube at Money Boss Mama. And I have my website, moneybossmama.com. So everything is pretty much Money Boss Mama. And you can send me a DM or an email. I always try to get back to everyone with any questions that you may have. Awesome. Thanks so much, Diana. Thank you.